1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Welcome to the show. We're going to entertain you, give you a few gems, learn a few tips and tricks, ways to manage our mental health better. Always a good show and uh, DMs are always open. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We wanted to open the show with a couple recent uh, pieces of news and articles, always mental health centered. Thought this one was really meaningful. Uh, there's always an ongoing debate about the health of you know same-sex couples raising children. Back in the day, I used to share a lot more research about this just to really normalize what can come out of that. And uh, we had a lot of really robust research that showed that not only do kids, uh, which is pretty obvious to most of us, do fine being raised with uh, same-sex parents because kids don't need a certain number of caregivers. Parents, uh, kids do not need a certain gender of caregivers. They just need caregivers, end of story. Children need consistent, reliable, accessible, responsive caregivers, period, end of story. That's all they need. It doesn't matter their gender. Doesn't matter how many there are. It can be a single parent. It can be a family member. It can be two men, two women, one woman. Doesn't matter. And that's the beautiful thing. What we need is care. That's why we use the word caregiver. Um, Having a father figure promises nothing. Children are still (laughs) raised with father figures and grow up unhealthy, uh, you know, rooted in toxic masculinity or femininity, depending on how you look at it. None of these things promise anything. (laughs) Uh, And there's a lot of differences between fatherhood and motherhood. So there is no such thing as a, a female role model or a father figure. They are all very different ways that people show up within those headings. So there's nothing standardized in that. And we were looking historically at a lot of research that, Looked at how children that were raised by same-sex couples had healthier, um, healthier outcomes on some personality and mental health testing. And what we saw was they had higher levels of compassion, uh, understandable, that they also had higher levels of acceptability around difference and diversity, that's not shocking, and they also had better communication skills. And I think that's because same-sex couples have a different script that they follow. They're not hung up on, men are like this, women are like that, oh, our son's you know, diagnosed male at birth, so we're gonna raise him with male qualities. They step outside all of that, and they just focus on raising good kids and being good parents and there's a lot more openness and discussion. And that's what happens when people step outside their rigid roles. And that's why I'm always advocating for, regardless of your gender or your sexual orientation, just be a good person. Don't focus on being a woman or a man or female qualities or male qualities. Everyone has all of those qualities. We all have the ability to step into all of those qualities. Those are not real things that do not help our children. In fact, trying to raise our children with rigid roles is actually quite toxic and can be traumatizing. We're forcing them. We're telling them to perform something. Good parenting is supporting the development of your child's truth and authenticity in whatever direction that goes. You know, the role of parenting is the child. It's not about you or what you wanted or what you hoped for, or what you dreamed of. That's your ego. Get out of that. If you're going to be a parent or you currently are, your role is to support who your child is and who your child is working on becoming. Stay out of the way of that. Raise good children not men or females and all of that. Another study came out recently showing that kids raised by same-sex couples also do better in school. They're also more likely to graduate high school than children with different sexed parents. And this is born out of a large study, and this came out of uh, Oxford in the UK. Pretty big study, looked at 3,000 children. That's a massive study being raised by same-sex couples and over a million that were being raised by opposite sex couples. That's profound. And here's a quote from the study. The results in, the results indicate that children raised by same sex parents from birth perform better than children raised by different sex parents. A result suggests that children raised by same sex parents, gay parents, from birth are <clears throat> have higher percentage points, uh, are higher in the percentage of likelihood to graduate than children with opposite sex parents. And it goes on and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, just kind of looking through the data but that's always meaningful and profound why well because then we look at news like this ready for this one like my god what's going on in the world uh floyd mayweather the boxer he refused to take a picture with a teen a teen who's male because this guy had painted nails and mayweather literally said we have it on tape refusing to take a photo because the teenage boy had uh painted nails well what is that that's femphobia that's homophobia why does his paint? why does him putting paint on his nails have anything to do with anything but we live in a femme phobic homophobic world. This boxer was afraid of the association of being in a photo with this person. Like what we have tons of straight people wearing painted nails. Um, it's paint on nails. Calm down. We all need to get over all of this. You know what I mean? We get so hung up on these things. Uh, so that's why I bring these studies in because that's a mess that we still live in a world in 2021 when we're hung up on things like that. Uh, so trying to think if I, I thought I had one more piece tied into that. No, we don't, but that's okay. Uh, So we're going to take a little break in a minute. And um, when we're going to, when we come back, we're going to do a little talking about asexuality. Bum, 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 bum. Because it's Asexuality Awareness Week, Ace Awareness Week. And it's an important topic because even if we ourselves aren't asexual, we might know someone who is. But it also is just a lesson in understanding and being a part of the creative, diverse ways that sexual orientation and sexuality show up in our world. So, uh, definitely a family friendly topic. (laughs) Nothing explicit in this one. We're just going to talk about identity. And this is important for children to know about because we might be talking about them or people they know. So, uh, stick around. You are listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
2: All right, we're back and we're talking about asexuality. Now, why is this important for those that aren't asexual? Well, because maybe you are and you just don't know it. Also, this wider discussion really moves us into looking at the fact that sexual orientation, much like gender, there's so many options. And I was looking at an article last night. And it sounds like I look at a lot of articles, but I really do. I love learning. I love information. I love science. Um, I like theory way more than I like science, but that's discussion for another day. Uh, that's why my books are always hyper-theoretical. Anyway, uh, stay on topic, stay on topic. So asexuality is important, and this article I was looking at last night, it was talking about new, new terms for even newer forms of sexuality. And as I was reading it, I was sitting with the confusion that a lot of people must feel when they're looking at these different articles and, and things on television with all the diverse ways that people show up in terms of, like I said, gender, sexual orientation, relational styles, structures, labels, configurations. These things have always existed in the world. Like let's start there for a second. This isn't new. What's new is the recognition. What's new is the community support and care. What's new is the term to let people feel like normal human beings. That's what's new. The the presence, right? The globalized awareness. But these have, these people have existed since the beginning of time. You can go back through time from the beginning And see people engaging in diversity and creativity around all these different pieces. People have been gay and trans and asexual since since the beginning of time. Why? Because these are things that are innate within us. We in my field used to always think that everyone was sexual and we really struggled to accept asexuality. We thought it was a hormonal issue. But isn't it interesting that we accept how diverse the world is? but we got hung up on diversity within certain elements. We understand diversity in terms of race, and culture, and music, and cuisine, and different elements of geographics, and fashion, and style, and all these different pieces. But when we come to sex, we're like, whoa, slow down. People are only gay or straight. It's amazing what we'll believe, but what we won't believe. There are still people that don't believe in bisexuality. They think it's a cover, it's a lie. Um, Have you watched the news? Have you seen what people are willing to do? Have you seen how some people live? Have you seen what's possible with who we murder, how we murder? The fact that parents will kill their children and uh, this, this boxer wouldn't take a picture with someone because their nail polish. We'll believe all these wild things. But bisexuality, whoa, slow down, too much. Asexuality, oh my God, something wrong, fix this person. And people get so upset. We have no problem learning someone's new married last name We have no problem remembering someone's nickname, but gender pronouns. Oh my God, asking too much. How can we keep up with it all? It's really wild what we'll do and what we won't do. (laughs) Asexuality is here to stay. It's been here since the beginning of time. It is not a hormonal issue. It's not someone desperately needing shots of testosterone. Uh, That's to pathologize the fact that just like socialization, some people are less social. Some people are more social. Well, sexuality is the same. Not everyone has an inherent sex drive or an arousability. That's okay. So when we really break it down, what is it that we're talking about? Well, what does it mean to be asexual? This is the standard definition. This doesn't mean everyone needs to meet this definition to be asexual. With There's always diversity within these labels, and there's always outliers. But asexuality generally means, and we refer to asexuals as ACEs, A-C-E, in ace. There are many different types and we look at romantic and we look at sexual asexuality refers to someone who experiences very little or no sexual attraction. Now, does that mean they don't have interest in romance and relationships? Yes, many of them do. So please don't think because you're interested in partnership or romance or companionship that you then are not an ace or asexual. Yeah, you could be people that are asexual can still have a desire for a standard relationship with romance. That's built in they can still want that they can also still have an emotional attraction wanting to be close to someone have deep intimate conversations and closeness can still be asexual because romance and emotional attraction don't necessarily have to do with sexual desire or attraction still might want some physicality i think that throws some people off some people that are asexual might still be willing to participate in sexuality because it might not repulse them or turn them off. It's just not something they necessarily want, but they might be willing to do it because it's important to their partner and they wanna provide that. Or maybe they just want the release. Rough example, I like food examples. You might not be interested in a particular cuisine, happens to me all the time, but someone you care about wants to go eat that food, so you with full consent say, yeah, I'm willing to eat this. It's not necessarily what I like. It's not even anything I'm drawn to or do on my own, but I'm happy to be participating in this shared experience with you. I'll, I'll, I'll eat this along with you. I consent to that. I'm willing. It's not what I want though, but it's okay. It's not going to hurt me or turn me off. But then there are some people that are sex repulsed and those aces or asexual people would not be interested in sex. It repulses them. And again, to use a food example, there are definitely some food cuisines and, 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 and products where someone would say, yeah, that's the line. I'm not doing that. For instance, I'm vegan, so I don't eat any plant animals or ingredients, but let's imagine for a moment that I wasn't vegan. I would probably never eat raw seafood. I would never be interested in sushi. That'd be a hard line. Whoever wanted to experience that with me would have to do that with someone else. But there are some other things that I might, like I said, be willing to do that I wouldn't want to do on my own naturally, but to experience it with someone else, I'd be willing to step into it. Same thing with asexuality. So sometimes aces will still participate in sex, consensually, but there, that willingness is there. It's just different. Um. But then it also brings us to a wider spectrum, and I love this, this is why I I, I love sexuality, because there's always more to the story, and there's no one label that can house everyone. I'm excited by that. That makes me curious. That, That, for others, though, is something that scares them and throws them off. So uh, we got to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to keep diving deeper into all the creative, diverse ways that people exist in this world. Height, weight, culture, fashion, cuisine, personality, voice, all these different things. And sex is just another beautiful part of that mosaic. Because we're not the same. We're all different. Even just within labels there's no such thing as a standard female or male even there's so many differences within those labels same thing with sex so we're going to come back and talk about that dm's always open if you got a dm for us drop in the dms on our IG page questions you got topics you want us to cover always happy to hear from you things you want us to drop deeper into but like i said we're going to take a little break we'll be back you are listening to loveline with dr chris on channel q and odyssey stick around y'all we'll be right back All right, y'all, we are back and uh, we're talking about uh, asexuality. Don't worry, this is a family-friendly topic. We're gonna just talk broad strokes. And again, I appreciate that um, all these different terms for gender and sexual orientation, it can be very complicated and chaotic. And for those of us that are older, we were not raised with all these different terms and we were raised in a time where everyone was a boy or girl, straight or gay, and that was kind of it. And we're now in a more beautiful um less oppressive time where we're seeing the beauty and diversity and creativity that exists within all those different dimensions and we're just trying to be more caring towards those and as i was saying in earlier segments these are not new things they've been with us since the beginning of time it's just now we have community we have terms we have labels uh and people are able to normalize what they might have thought was something pathologizing or you know, something that made them feel very much alone or detached and they didn't really know how to work with it. Now with these terms and labels, people can explain to others who they are. They can feel real. They can feel cared for. They can find resources. More importantly, just their ability to explain themselves to themselves and another and to feel normal and kind of place themselves in the world. But like I said, resources build community. So when we're talking about asexuality, we're talking about someone who doesn't have sexual attraction for people of any gender. They still might have interest in engaging in sexuality for different reasons. They still have a desire often for you know relationship or romance. Um, it's just the sexual arousal or drive isn't always there in the same ways it is there for others. But what's really beautiful about this is it also really brings us to a wider understanding of how people move through the world you know, those that are asexual and have no sexual attraction. Well, then there's other forms of it that are really specific versions of how people step into romance, sexuality, and relationality. And what I mean by that is then we have interesting terms like demisexual and gray-sexual. And again, they just really help us better understand the mosaic of what exists. So for instance, People that are listening to this and they're like, oh, it's getting out of control. There's so many labels. There's always a new term. Think about it in in, in, in any other field or domain. If we're talking about color, um, when I way back in the day was in school, I took a color theory class. It's a long story as to why or how that came to be. And they were talking about all the different colors of blue that exist and how there's so many different shades and colors of red. For most of us, we're content with that's blue or that's red. But if you're an artist or you work in fashion or you work in design or other areas of the world, that's meaningful to you. What version of blue are we talking about? And understanding the differences. If you work or live and have an interest in the culinary world, we don't just call food good or bad. <laughs> there's there's flavors, there's cuisines, there's styles. Was it fried? Was it baked? Was it steamed? Is it um spicy? Is it bitter? Is it sour? We have flavors like umami, which are born out of the taste of things that are soy-based. And we start to talk about the rich flavor that exists in food by using all these different terms. And there's a beauty in that, a fun in that, a wonder in that. We don't wanna be thrown off by how many different shades of red there are, how many different ways someone can prepare something the different spices. We we should be excited by that. And that's the same thing with sexuality, gender, and relational styles, is there's so many different ways that these things exist. Let's be inspired by that. Let's see the beauty in that. Um, When we look at the animal and the plant kingdom, it is wildly queer and diverse. It is not as simple as I think people think. And they'll say things like, well, what's natural is, well, what's natural is this diversity and creativity. Fish, animals, and plants have a wealth of examples of male, males that give birth, fish that impregnate, and plants that impregnate themselves and actually don't even need a partner, truly being solo sexual. Um, Plants and fish that change their gender and even their sex from one to the other Um, We have rampant homosexuality and bisexuality in the plant and animal kingdom. It's really beautiful when you look at how it exists. We don't talk a lot about it. We talk about sex. We have more than just XX and XY. We have five, six, or seven different versions of chromosomal um, styles. It's a broad, colorful world. And so humans are understandably just like that. But that is what's natural. As per the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the fish kingdom, they all have many examples of this. And so we can't say that these things aren't natural. They exist in the natural world. Um, so we talk about something that asexual, we kind of covered. that demisexual, is someone who might experience sexual attraction, but only once a deep emotional bond occurs. Gray sexual is the opposite. They feel very weak sexual attraction. And it's so rare that they don't necessarily always have desire. And then we have sexual, which is someone where the more committed and intimate and close they get, the more sexual desire disappears. And that's confusing for some people because they think maybe I fell out of love. No, maybe you're more sexual. You lean more towards the emotional and less of the physical. Um, and I think another interesting point I want to make before we get to the DMs is that I want people to understand these labels. So as to understand themselves, it's about normalization. Um, you don't have to understand all this. You don't have to know the labels. The best way to move through the world is by just saying, who's this person before me and not trying to squeeze them into a box or make assumptions and letting them just tell you who they are. You know, this is something that's supposed to be healthy and supportive. Um, all right, we're gonna take a little break uh, and then we're gonna come back and slide into those DMs. So as always, you got a DM for us, y'all. Drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We wanna hear from you all. Um, and also past episodes, as always, are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show, click on it. But uh, after the DMs, we're gonna talk about some things that nobody tells you about sex later in life. So stick around for that. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
1: Sliding into the DMs.
2: This one says, oh, it's a little bit of a long one hanging there. This one says, hey, love line and Dr. Chris, I've continuously struggled with making connections. Being in quarantine over COVID has only triggered that feeling even more. Recently got in touch with a guy that had ghosted me before. We hooked up a few weeks ago. All was good. Experience felt fine at that moment. But after, it seemed like we were both on the same page. But then, weeks went by, reaching out, no communication back. Now I reached out again yesterday, only for him to not respond. Am I a fool for expecting reciprocation? Now I know I'm a victim of double ghosting. I feel like somehow of a fool for letting this happen, but to my knowledge, I was hoping things would be different. You're not a fool. You're hope. You're living in hope. You're hopeful. I want you to have that. I want us all to have that. I want us to not harden when we are let down and disappointed or frustrated with the, you know, sexual, dating, romantic process. Uh, that's hard. I want us to stay soft, stay open, hold hope. It's a complicated process and we're not making it any better based on the way we treat each other. So I kind of want to make this a call to action for those listening that uh, if someone reaches out and texts you, you do have a responsibility to respond back. There's nothing, nothing wrong with writing back, Hey. Just want to let you know, I was only interested in the time we spent together, not interested in pursuing anything further. You know, take care, all the best. That's all you have to say. Or, hey, it was great getting to know you, but it seems like things have changed and I don't think the chemistry's there. Bam, that's all you have to text. But you have to say something. If someone reaches out, that means that they're not necessarily understanding what's going on, and I want you to take the accountability to respond. We have to get away from just going silent and, and, and just ignoring people. It's very hurtful, and it really makes it hard for people to keep trying. It's okay if your mind has changed based on what you wanted with someone. It's okay if, you know, you wanted one thing you thought they knew and it turns out that you both wanted something different. Be a part of being clear, clarifying, cleaning up, healing. If you're going to have sex with someone or going to a date with someone and they follow up, just take some care and compassion and two seconds and fire off a text explaining where you stand. That's bare minimum. Why are we not willing to do that for another person? Like, my God, it's two seconds. You have the time, do it. If you're not willing to do that, please stop. Please take a break from relating to people because you're not safe and you're harming people. Um, This person should have tried. This person should have tried again. Who knows? This person, you know, the author of this question, you should have reached out. You're, You're pursuing. I want you to court and pursue and try. That's what you're supposed to do. This other person's not holding up their end of the bargain being a human. Be a human. Be a human, if someone reaches out, clarify, connect, heal, send a text, do something. But we shouldn't be ghosting people. We shouldn't be double ghosting people. Now having said all that, yeah, if someone had ghosted you in the past, I wouldn't expect them to have learned better communication skills since then. If someone ghosts you, they're letting you know that they have crappy ethics and they don't really know how to run healthy relationships. And I wouldn't circle back to someone. So learn that lesson in this. If someone's shown bad behavior in the past, well, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. People do grow and change, but very few are doing the work to do that. And so we can't be surprised when they are consistent. And that's what this person has been. So definitely release them and you move on. But I want us to get better and to be more accountable to those that we form relationships of any kind with. It takes literally seconds. And y'all are always on your phones. Always on your damn phones. It is not wild to ask you to take two seconds of a break from you scrolling, looking at all the mindless crap we look at, because that's truly what we're looking at, a lot of mindless, stupid crap, and to text someone back, a human being who's confused, I'm sorry, that was always looking to have happened with you. I'm sorry that, that there's confusion in that. All the best, not looking to connect again. Or sorry, the chemistry wasn't there in the way I thought it was, nice getting to know you. Whatever it is practice script it out already and put it in the notes section you can just cut and paste but if you're not willing to do that you're not healthy enough to be dating or having sex with people because you're harming people and healthy sex and healthy relationships even when they're casual anonymous or one nights still have care and compassion for the other person period anything short of that is narcissistic or sociopathic and we're working on being better than that so that's my challenge Practice that, script it, have it ready to go. I don't care how you go about doing it, but we have to take that responsibility to do that. But we also, like the author of this question, you have to learn. People show you who they are. This person most likely has done nothing to have communicated they've grown, so we shouldn't have expected them to have, you know? So we learn from that. All right, y'all, we're gonna take a little break. We'll be back. DMs, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, but stick around, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, y'all. Stick around. All right, we're back and we're talking about sex after 60. What are the things no one tells us about sex later in our lives? Well, I want to start by front-loading it with a really beautiful, empowering perspective. That is true. We talk a lot about our sexual prime being in our early years. When you're 18, when you're 22, that is not your sexual prime. That is your genital prime. Yes, that is the time when your genitals are at their most robust in terms only of procreation yes it is better and in your best interest and the child's as well to have a child as young as possible when your body is at its most robust in terms of genital prime but our sexual prime is later in our life because in our youth, we are not mature enough to understand who we are sexually, to really understand what we want, who we are, we haven't learned or experienced. Later in life, that's your sexual prime. That's when you're at your most robust, we hope. That's when you're most confident, we hope. That's when we hope you've done the word to accept your body and your sexuality and you've explored and figured out who you are. And if not, that's the time to do that. And so hopefully your sex life gets better as you get older. Like I said, more confidence with yourself and others. You have a sense of what you want and what you don't want. You started to explore. It's a beautiful thing we have to remember that aging is not just a decline narrative. And we always apply that, that aging is bad. It's just decline, it's loss. That is not true. It might be in terms of our physical mobility for sure. It might be in terms of our genital prime, but our psychological and emotional health, it should get better as we get older. We set better boundaries, better communication styles. We're rooting our life hopefully in more purpose and meaning. Remember, the first phase of life, our role is just to find an identity and to fit in. It's us against the world. Where do we fit in? What's my gender? What's my identity? Who are my friends? What's my career? Some people never leave that phase. But hopefully, as you get older, you step into the second phase, which is, what am I doing with my time? What's my legacy on this planet? Am I living a life full of purpose and meaning? Am I living my life or someone else's? And it becomes you against yourself. That's the transformation and the growth that we seek. It's not a midlife breakthrough. I'm sorry. It's not a midlife breakdown or midlife crisis. You make it a midlife breakthrough. We call it a crisis, midlife crisis. That's not true. It's it's the it's someone colliding with the life that they've been told they need to live, right? With a life that's not really a value and worth to them. That should be a breakdown. But then we should turn that into a breakthrough by saying, now I'm called upon by myself to step into the life I want to lead or was meant to lead. That's what you need to do with that. Not you know dye your hair, get an earring, and drive a new hot you know hot rod car, which is like the stereotype in movies. You should be saying, let me now step into truth. Let me not worry anymore about what my family wants, my friends want, what gender I've been told I am or whatever it is or the marriage I don't want to be in. And you step into the second phase where you're like, I'm going to live in truth. But that should happen with sex as well. Again, aging doesn't have to have a decline narrative to it. It can have an upswing. But as we get older, we have to start to change the definition and I'm always wanting people to change the definition of what they define as being sex. Sex is not about our genitals. Sex is not about penetration. That is one part, but sex, as we get older, expands outside of that. Sometimes it never involves penetration, but that could be the, that should be the case for us in our youth as well. Sex as we're older, maybe never even involves orgasm or our genitals. We, we really get to the heart of what sex is. It's connection, intimacy, fun, pleasure, entertainment. Relationality, none of these things necess- necessitate the use of anything. We should go where we go, allow that creativity, allow that fluidity. But we need to change our definition because our bodies start changing based on illness, disability, medication, mood, depression, all these different things. Our body's just naturally aging. We don't have the capacities we used to have. Every 10 years, we have another 10%, another 10% chance that we're going to have erectile disappointments because your penis is always going to come and go. It's never going to do what you want it to do ever. But as we get older, it's another 10% chance that's going to let us down. In our 30s, 30% of the chance. 40, 40% of the chance. In our 50s, 50% of the chance. In our 60s, 60% of the time it's going to let us down and disappoint us. That's not something wrong. That's life. That's how our bodies work. Just like it gets harder to go up the stairs and our and our, and our strength starts to decrease. Well, our genital functioning is the same way. And so it serves us in our youth to start to change the definition of what we think sex is and what it's about. And we also only want to be with healthy partners that can meet us there and understand that as well. We can't hold ourselves accountable to youthful, naive definitions of sexuality when we're older. We have to widen the breadth of what we do. Some people no longer want penetration because of lack of lubrication or erectile difficulties. There's still a lot of beautiful ways to have fun without penetration or without even having an erection. Pleasure still exists at every part of our body by being touched, licked, caressed, having something put upon it with vibrations, like a vibrator or something. Our whole body is our erogenous zone, but we tend to just zero in our anatomy and that's thinking in terms of reproduction, but as we get older, we should be moving into our sexual prime and not worrying about the genitals. And that's just a general theory on aging. What are the strengths? What are the benefits? What can we step into? What can we leave behind? Those childlike notions of conformity and fitting in, and having to look like everyone, and dress like everyone, and talk like everyone, and act like everyone, and live like everyone. As we get older, hopefully we shed that, and we know more of who we are, and we start to live our true life. But let's apply that to sex as well. That's the beauty in aging. As we get we get given that opportunity, um, we got to take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna keep talking about all the changes that are gonna happen, giving it more of a beneficial narrative doesn't have to always be decline narrative, like I said, and uh, then we'll be doing some DMs. So as always, DMs come from our Loveline IG page, drop them in there in the DMs. I uh, got a question for us. Bam. What topic you want us to cover? Bam. Something you want us to circle back and drop deeper into? Bam, bam. And uh, past episodes, check them out. You can binge, post, share, we re-listen. That's over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down and click on Loveline. Otherwise, y'all stick around. More to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all. we are back and uh, stumbled upon something during the break that I love reading things like this. Uh, Elizabeth Banks. Are y'all familiar with her? She's an amazing actress. She's one of those working actresses that's always doing something. I always think she's phenomenal. I always enjoy her in things, but I don't feel like I personally hear a lot of uh, mention of her. I think she's awesome. She kind of maybe stays out of the spotlight. However, I guess she was on, um, what talk show was this? Oh, Late Show uh, with Stephen Colbert. I hope this is Yeah, this is recent. So she was talking about, um, and I think this is always really important stuff to cover. She was talking about being honest with her boys while talking about sex. This is her quote. She said, you should not lie to your kids about it. Sounds basic, but I think that there's really something important. Um, I'm going to quote her again. She says, if they ask about sex, it it shows they're curious. Age appropriate though. Tell them straight up what it is. Um, I love that. We have to start raising kids in a sex positive family. And that that just means that we accept that that's a topic that is in the world, sexuality is here, and we are comfortable and confident in discussing it and acknowledging it and, and approaching it. And we don't instill in our children our own anxieties or fears. We don't give them the idea that it's something that's bad or wrong that we can't talk about, nor do we tell them that we can't talk about it confidently. So always remember the way you approach it is how they are going to first encounter it. I do so much work with individuals who are trying to heal as adults from the early environment they were raised in and how sex was brought in because we have so many different kinds of families. There's the sex positive family, which is the family where, like I said, we are confident, we are open, we discuss it, we discuss it in an age appropriate way because if a child's bringing it up or discussing it, then it's time to talk about it. That's how you know. But even if they're not, we should still be normalizing bringing it up. Not in a way that makes them uncomfortable, but from birth, using the right terms, talking about it confidently. Um, And then there's the sex negative families, which basically imply overtly at times even that sex is bad. It's bad. Good girls don't do that. Boys don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's bad. It's wrong. We don't talk about it. Well, that kind of is a bad message to instill in them. And then they're supposed to what? Get Go through their really crappy sex education in school and then fumble around as a teenager on their own trying to figure things out? And no, that's not good. Or we have the sexually anxious family, which is a family where we're not gonna say it's bad, don't talk about it. We're also not going to address it in a confident, clear direct way. We're going to just say things like you're down there parts. We're going to give little nicknames. We're going to get a little anxious and shut conversations down very quickly. Just kind of maybe throw a book at our kid. It's like the in-between. You don't want to be that family either. So that means the adults have to do their own work on this, but I like that celebrities are bringing it up and normalizing the conversation and talking to their kids about it. Jada Pinkett Smith, I mean that that woman is crushing it. <laughs> For some people, they're like, "Yo, a little too far," but you know, she's meeting her kids where they're at. I, I have not watched their Red Table Talk show, but I've read articles, seen sound bites, seen clips, and. They're getting real, they're getting honest. And uh, it's a good way to model that. It's also, you know, adults hopefully have had some good experiences and can provide some important feedback, answer some questions. Because again, remember without that, who are they left learning from? Learning it on the streets from their friends, other teenagers, come on. That's not where we want anyone to learn anything. Uh, watching adult content. Pornography isn't built to be an educator. No more than any other form of media is. We don't let kids watch Real Housewives to learn how to have friendships and better communication skills. Dear God, I hope we don't. Um, so we shouldn't put, we, you know, we don't expect TV to be a good educator. Well, we are not. We shouldn't expect pornography either. It's all media, it's, a, it's entertainment. Um, we can learn a lot critically analyzing it with our kids. That's one way to turn it into a positive. Um, but anyway, there we have it. I thought that was meaningful. Um, I wanted to talk quickly about, and I think that this is good, good little sound bites. Affirmations for setting healthy boundaries. Um, I was working with two clients during the week on this, and I thought you know sometimes people struggle to have a perspective or a sound bite or a mantra, and I like to provide those. And these are around setting healthy boundaries, which. We still need to be working on. Uh, I work with a lot of individuals that are struggling. And it comes in even in the DMs when people say, How do I tell someone, dot, dot, dot? That's basically them saying, I don't really know how to set a boundary, how to let someone down, how to assert my needs, how to let someone know that they frustrated me, how to tell someone we have to work on a relationship or even tell someone that a relationship needs to change or end. That's boundary talk. And I think that there's some really good affirmations. So I wanted to just kind of close out the night talking about them. Uh, Maybe we'll bump into some of these in the next segment as well. Um, I also think that some of these are just tied to good ethics. (laughs) and I think we need to talk more in the mental health world about ethics. Those are individually developed to an extent, although they often reflect a lot of the ethics and values of our culture, but I think we all need to have them. I think some people just are a little too self-focused and think about what they need and what they can gain from something without really looking at, is it ethical though? Because ethics, in my mind, and mental health always take into account how we're impacting others, the impact we're having on someone else's life, and we never disregard that. You know, My favorite example is when you're helping someone, you know, with infidelity. You know that they are married or in a relationship and you're having sex with them. That's not ethical because you are harming the other person. Your mere presence is what is the cheating. You are a co-conspirator. You're an accomplice in that. Um, We don't want to be doing things that we know have a negative result on someone else. We can't feel okay about that. I want us to not feel okay about that. So when we come back, we'll talk about some affirmations for setting healthier boundaries, what that would sound like, ethics, things to hold us accountable to and ground ourselves. So uh, stick around, we'll be popping into that and then uh, closing out with some DMs. So you're listening to Love Line, Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. Um, Oh, before I go, two things, DMs, always come from our Loveland IG page. Follow us, pop them in there. Always open any questions you have. Someone else might be wondering the same thing. So kind of helping them out with your questions. Uh, Also topics you want us to cover, drop them in there. Always happy to hear from you or something you want us to circle back, drop deeper into, um, hit differently. Let us know, and you can go over to wearechannelq.com. That's where you can check out past episodes. People often ask me that, wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it, and they're all there. Let you know what those episodes are. You can binge post, reshare, relisten repetition and practice is what really helps us build and shift our mental health. So it's good to hear things over and over. So go check that out. Oh, and as always my books, rebel love and sex outside the lines, pick them up, check them out. But like I said, when we come back, we'll be talking more about boundaries and uh, ways to reframe that. And then closing out with some DMS listening to love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and odyssey stick around y'all. Cause we will be right back. All right, y'all, we are back and we're just kind of closing out. Before we get to some DMs, talking about uh, affirmations and boundaries. I think these are really important. Culturally, we are not raised with boundaries at all, really. And the ones we set aren't good ones. And often people set them from a place of anger. If you're angry walking away, if you have anger after walking away from a situation, it's usually a sign that you didn't set a boundary or you didn't hold a boundary. You let something or someone take advantage of you. And we'll be mad at the situation. We'll be mad at the person. But really, it's misplaced anger. We should anger with ourselves. Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say no? Why didn't you tell them you couldn't? Or why didn't you tell them you know whatever you needed to say? That's usually what the anger's about. But we project it on the other person. You know, I wish they'd stop asking me to help them move. Well. It actually, sounds like you should be frustrated with yourself. You didn't set a boundary telling them I can't help you this time or I can't always be the one to help you move. Please, you know, reach out and ask someone else. Or I can't do that on Saturday, but I'm happy to help you on Sunday. It's not the person asking that's the problem. It's us not setting a boundary and telling someone no. But I it's really hard for us in our culture. We're very people-pleasing to let someone down, disappoint someone, not think we're being a good friend or a bad son. But that doesn't, you know, being a good friend or a good son or whatever the frame is, is isn't about always saying yes. We are not in a healthy relationship if we can't say no. We have to be able to say no. If we can't say no, then I don't really trust your yes. Your yeses are under duress and people pleasing. We have to practice saying no. I tell people the best way to do that is to start doing it every day in small ways, ways where it doesn't count. But if we can get familiar doing it at the level of one to two or three in terms of anxiety and difficulty, then we can do a four and a five, and then all of a sudden six and a seven become easier. We can handle the harder ones, but we don't want to wait till those big ones to start the practice. We have to start when things are feeling easier. I tell people, go to Starbucks, start practicing there. Letting someone know, oh, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry, I was in line in front of you. Or, hey, that's really not my name. Um, here, I'll spell my name for you. You you correct people, you ask for what you need, you assert a boundary, and part of setting boundaries is often frustrating and disappointing people. I have to do it all the time. I get asked to do a lot of things professionally, being on podcasts, um, lecturing, all sorts of things. And I have to set my boundaries saying, unfortunately I'm not available to do that. I can't take on any more work. Or what's the fee that you're offering? Oh, that's not my fee. Whatever it is, we have to always be willing to doing that. We have to be willing to be not liked. I think that's really the powerful part of boundary setting is risking not being liked and being okay with that. People pleasing burns people out, exhausts them. It makes us resentful and it's not fair. People, it's not the responsibility of people to not ask, although I would like them to be more thoughtful. And when you're asking someone something, take into account that, you know, what might be going on in their life at that time, like, dear God, please. But it's on us to say no if we need to say no. It's on us to make changes if we need to make changes. We can't just say yes to everything, but then get frustrated the people that are asking us and then punish them for it or retaliate or block them or shut them out, because that's what we do sometimes. So what would uh, some affirmations for setting healthy boundaries sound like? Number one, um, don't wait around for someone to dignify you with a relationship bam, that's a good one. How about this one? I will not accept less love, care, trust, and respect from anyone, even myself. I like this one the most when we're talking about relationships, mutual relationships only or I'm out, no longer doing one-sided relationships. See, these are about us deciding what we'll do. Boundaries are about what we will do or won't do. Boundaries aren't about controlling other people. Rules are, and we don't set rules with other adults. We set boundaries. Hey, if you're going to drink, I'm not going to go with you versus you can't drink. That's a rule. We can't tell other people what to do. You can't say don't drink. But you can set a boundary and say what you'll do or won't do. I will not go with you to that party if you're going to drink. So let me know. If we go and I find out you're drinking, I'm going to leave. You talk about you and yourself only. That's a boundary. Again, we can't tell other adults what to do. That's a rule. People will resent rules. They will push back on rules. They will feel disempowered. They will feel controlled. It's not and you and you're not necessarily even right. But if you're talking about what you need or what you will do or not do, you are always right because it's about you and you have a right to determine what you do. And I have said that to some people, Hey, if I go to this event and there's drug use, I'm going to leave. Cause I can't tell people to not be using drugs at this event and people have to do that over the holidays. Hey, I'm sober. I'll be triggered. If people are drinking, I'm willing to come to dinner as long as alcohol isn't there. But as soon as alcohol arrives, I'm going to leave. And then they're left deciding whether or not they want you there. And if they're going to drink, that's how we set boundaries, right? So I love that. Mutual relationships only run out. Beautiful. Um, I love this one. I will not engage in lazy communication to avoid vulnerability. We often try to avoid vulnerability, which is what we're doing when we say, how do we, oh, we have to just step into that courageously. Um, I will, what is this one? I will not pursue someone who's rejected me. I mean, these are actually very relational. I thought these might be broader. Um I will not make exceptions to my boundaries. I love that one. Because again, our boundaries, we don't want them to be so solid that there can't be flexibility because we do learn and boundaries might make sense in one context with one person at one time, but they need to be updated or more flexible or change when we're stepping into engagement with another person. So also be open to that, like that's in there too. Boundaries shouldn't be just rock solid. They need to be thoughtful. They need to not be punishing. They need to be realistic, realistic to what's happening in this context with this specific person. So they might change person by person, case by case. Be aware of that. That's not being boundaryless. That's healthy boundaries. They're flexible. So check in on that. All right, y'all. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be doing those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, as always, and uh, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. Bam, they're all there. Binge, post, share, read, listen. But uh, DMs, we'd love to hear from you. We got some. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, y'all. all right y'all we are back time to slide into those dms
1: sliding into the dms
2: oh let's see which ones we should do here oh let's do this one hey dr chris what are some tips for better communication about sex even though my partner and i've been together for almost two years still feel shyness when it comes to sex how can we explore new things Was kind of talking about this on a dm the other night this week um we get hung up on patterns and habits we usually have sex at the same time a day, in the same places. It starts the same way. It's the same step one, and then I know what step two is gonna be, and then step three, and then we orgasm, and then we're done. That is so boring. I'll take off the table everything I don't feel comfortable with, you'll take off the table everything you don't feel comfortable with, and we'll just do whatever's left over. Sounds boring. Good sex is about changing things up, newness and novelty, pushing on our edges, whatever you know, have sex sometimes involves no genitals. Our whole body provides pleasure. Get creative. Have sex sometimes that doesn't involve penetration. Get creative. Have sex. It doesn't always involve orgasm or you come back to it later. It's two, two, two sessions of fun. Also, slow down. Slow down. Take your time. Also, like I said, use the entire body in some capacity. Go try some toys. But it's all about slower. It's about less. It's about getting more basic. Communication. Practice being more honest and transparent. Share the things that make you anxious. Start to ask yourself, what is my true, total, full sexual self? How can I start bringing this to my partner? Having more honest conversations. Sharing with them the things you think about and that turn you on. Letting them know if you're seeing something in a movie that turned you on. Letting them know about fantasies. Maybe watching and sharing the kind of porn you like with them to learn about. You're watching it together. But this can only be done in a safe relationship with a mature partner. Someone who's not going to be threatened by this, but instead will welcome it and see it as an act of care and commitment and intimacy building. That's the question. If this is a safe partner, we can do this work. If not, work on building a safe relationship. So if you can't imagine doing what I just listed because you are too anxious or your partner is, acknowledge that and work on building a more trusting relationship because every relationship should be able to tolerate that kind of honesty. And if not, I'm worried about your ability to have difficult conversations because those will come up. So how do we learn to communicate? By practicing. Practice, start with the easy things. Start with the things that maybe are non-sexual, working up to the sexual. But very few of us bring our total and full self to our partner because we have fear of, you know, not being seen as wife material or being, you know, or that's not manly if I'm into that, or that sounds like, you know, something that's not heterosexual behavior, even though anything a man does is man behavior. Anything a female does is female behavior. Anything heterosexual people do is heterosexual sex. And even if it was gay sex, there ain't anything wrong with being gay or fluid or bi or pan. In fact, healthy people step outside of their gender training and policing and gender roles, and they live their authentic total self. And we only want to be with people where that's permissible and safe. So work on that. That's why I love this topic. If we can't talk about sex, I'm worried about all the other things we can't talk about. So use it as recognition that we have some work to do on intimacy and vulnerability and transparency. It's a beautiful thing. Um, All right, let's do another one. We have some time. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, feeling so unmotivated to do things right now between our president (laughs) Uh, We're not gonna get into any Biden stuff. But basically you're saying is there anything that I can do to keep myself motivated? Um, I always say about things with motivation, make sure that the goals you have, the things you're trying to be motivated about are things that actually have meaning and worth to you. Sometimes our lack of motivation is actually a communication that you really don't care about what you're trying to do or it doesn't have a lot of value and you shouldn't be doing it. There's a lot of things that sound good on paper but it's just not really who we are getting up early and going to the gym if you're a nighttime person that's never going to happen and that's why you're not motivated set a new goal is that really honest you know and that's that's the question i want to ask yourself where did these goals come from are they even mine and are they things that i actually believe in because if so i'm going to easily drift towards them so most likely they're not really meaningful to me or they're someone else's or i think they should be mine it's the first part number two just make sure you have the energy We often try to achieve our goals after we're burnout and exhausted and depleted from work or whatever else is going on in our lives. And it doesn't work that way. That's why goals at the end of the day are the hardest. We're tired. We don't have the energy to deal with impulse control or to motivate ourselves. So anything you need motivation for, you should probably do during your sweet spot. For me, I'm a morning person. So I'm going to achieve my goals the best and in the most competent way in the morning. And so I set them for that time. You know, so it's about time of day and energy and also making sure that they're truly meaningful to you and that they're your goals, not someone else's or society's just because everyone else does or it sounds good on paper. doesn't mean it's right for you or even real for you. So we have to honestly confront ourselves and and realize this just might not be my path or something that's important to me. And then we release and we move on. Uh, that is our show y'all have a great, great, great rest of your night. Focus on self player, self self care, tons of pleasure as always, y'all thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.
0: Minimum of four lines for
1: $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without autopay Plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. CTMobile.com.